how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. John Meacham is a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and number one New York Times best-selling author. He's known for The Soul of America, Battle for Our Better Angels, American Lion, Andrew Jackson in the White House, Franklin and Winston, His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope, and a book co-written with country star Tim McGraw called Songs of America. His newest project is a podcast called Fate of Fact. And the premise is meant to explore how fear conquered truth, the history and origins of the strong grip of misinformation and disinformation have played on our politics and how we got there today. In this interview, Meacham talks about his three tests to choose a book subject, how to focus on durable projects that take a great deal of time to finish, the commitment of fact-checking, and how all books are part of a, quote, unfolding conversation. I read a lot of uh, history and uh, sort of the canonical works uh, in those days. Um, Churchill's War Memoirs. Uh, I was a strange child. That's not hard to hard to imagine. Uh, so I'd read big uh, nonfiction projects. I also grew up on a Civil War battlefield, uh, Missionary Ridge in Chattanooga. And to me, history was always very tactile. Uh, you could find Manet balls in the yard, uh, even in the 1970s. And so to me, it wasn't remote, but ambient. What do you think interests you most? Has it always been more American history or where did you kind of start when you, you know, became a published writer and those type of things? Almost entirely American, uh, not out of deliberate uh, or conscious choice, uh, but I'm, for better or for worse, most interested in what's around me, mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, the and and in the American system, the presidency has been uh, a consuming interest. But that's because of 
English literature, actually, uh, British literature. Uh, I think Shakespeare's history plays are, uh, to me, the most resonant. And so, uh, as uh, Richard II said, uh, come let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. Uh, it's kind of my watchword. So you've got um, like several published books. When you have an idea in your mind, maybe you've got a few different ideas for the next book. How do you, how do you choose that? How do you know there's enough information here or this is the right time for this story or no one's told it in this way? Like, what is it about it that makes you dive in for a long project like that? So I have three tests, uh, one of which uh, goes to your, your question. Um, one is I try to see, is there something about this story, this person that resonates right now uh, that we can learn from? Uh, that's one. Uh, two is, is there an angle of vision that can justify going back over ground that uh, great people have, have gone over before? And third, is there some archival, some information that can be introduced into the bloodstream uh, that's different and new? And if I can check all three of those boxes, I'm, I'm in. So for that first box, does that mean you're, you're maybe holding some projects or does that just kind of push one in front of the other? It does. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, I have lots of stuff I would theoretically like to do. Uh, but, you know, to do a couple of years or as long as four years or five years, you know, that, that's a long date. And so um, you want to you want to make sure that it's uh, it's got a durability and it will maintain uh, your own interest, because if your own interest waxes and wanes, the reader's interest is going to wax and wane. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to make it wax, not wane. What advice do you have for people that are, so, so my generation, the millennials are particularly bad at doing things that take a long period of time to do. Right. What encouragement might you have for writers who maybe they haven't written their first book yet, or they haven't tackled anything that takes, you know, more than a couple of weeks? It's hard. Uh, it's particularly hard, as, as you allude, uh, in an era where we have the means to express anything that comes into our minds instantly. Uh, and so the notion of stepping into a world that will be consuming for a long time is countercultural. Mm -hmm. I'd argue that that's one of its virtues, that it enables you to create your own imaginative universe mm -hmm. that is more durable uh, at a point where stories, subjects, uh, points of interest burn so brightly, but so quickly. Uh, this is the difference between a, uh, a bottle rocket and a, and a campfire, uh, I think would be one way to think about it. Can you share any details about like the logistics of your process? Do you use like a note card system? Are you online? How do you do some of the research and things? Uh, I functionally use note cards. I, I do it all uh, on Word now. Uh, 
but yeah, I read for a, on a, on a big project, I'll read for about a year and take notes along the way. Uh, for me, the, I don't know what I don't know, or I don't know what I know until I'm writing the narrative itself. And that creates different um, avenues of inquiry that I wouldn't have thought of just sitting, staring out into space. So I start writing pretty early in the process uh, and then revise endlessly. Uh, I spend an enormous amount of time on the sourcing and fact checking. Uh, it, it, and at each point, I very nearly end up committed to an institution. Uh, uh, because it's, it's, it's so uh, exacting. But, uh, but I think to whom much is given, much is expected. And so therefore, uh, I want to make sure, you know, nothing's perfect, but I want to make sure that uh, I've done everything I can to make sure every, everything is exactly right. Um, and books are never, in my experience, are never really done you just kind of have to blow the whistle uh, and get it out there. I have always, at each point, I have thought of points I should have made or should have made more clearly about 20 minutes after it's gone. <laughs> so, which is a frustration, but, uh, but one that uh, keeps us coming back for more. I like that. I've talked to... Um... Some of the guys from Pixar have said, we don't finish films. We release them just. To yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're not done. You just publish. How do you think about your work in terms of longevity? So I, I talked to Jonathan Eag, who wrote the biography on Muhammad Ali. Yep. There's been other biographies. His was maybe more the definitive version. Like you think about your book on Andrew Jackson. Are you making sure the bibliography and sources are, are really in there if case somebody wants to write a book 50 years from now about Jackson? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I think that kind of source material, there, there are at least two points to it. One is you want to give due credit to those who've uh, done great work. Uh, and yeah, the, this is a picture metaphor this is an unfolding conversation it's a it's part of the bloodstream uh and so you want to you want to add as much as you possibly can uh i've had i've been at both i've been in two different parts of that conversation with most of my books uh jefferson jackson roosevelt churchill uh i've been very much at the in a long running conversation with George H.W. Bush, I was kind of at the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I was putting on the record was being put on the record for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was particularly conscious of, of that with the Bush book, because just by the nature of when it came out and, and, and in our relationship, uh, I knew that it was going to by necessity if not quality it was going to have to be a resource for a long time do you feel more pressure when a subject is is still alive or there's more interviews to be done as opposed to maybe someone more historic where it's a little more limited what your access is to what you can read absolutely absolutely um 
because you can all, it, and it's fascinating to be able to do both. Uh, I would love to have been able to call up Jefferson and ask him, you know, why he bought Louisiana. Uh, I was able to call up George Bush and ask him things about Gorbachev. Uh, and each has its vices, each has its, its virtues. Uh, I do think that they're slightly different undertakings. Um, when someone's gone and already prominent, you are, to some extent, you're writing as much about their era and their influence on our own era as you are them. My experience, I've written two books about living people, uh, John Lewis and George Bush. And my experience with both of those was that it was more of a profile uh, and not quite a meditation. That's not quite the right word, but it was a portrait of a person uh, almost more than an era. And by necessity, when someone's been gone a long time, you end up contextualizing them more because you have to. Yeah. How do you think about uh, truth, and, and I'll give you an example. So Eeg also said that he likes to read autobiographies to gauge emotion, but he reads biographies to get more like plot points. How do you think about some of that? And how do you worry about, you know, do I have multiple references for this story and that type of thing? Uh, two different questions, right? Uh, so the first is memoir, oral history, uh, letters, memos, things written in the moment or by the person about the person uh, are sources to be handled with care. No one ever comes out second best in their own memoir. Uh, that's kind of the nature of the beast. That's a paraphrase of something Atchison once said, Dean Atchison. Um, with letters and uh, memos, you, you do have to kind of recover the context and the audience. You know, were they writing this thinking somebody like me would be reading it uh, in X number of years? Uh, you know, sort of the memo to file to, to cover yourself or to explain something. Um, so context is all, is all there. Uh, in terms of plot points, yes. I mean, history and biography are two different things. Uh, they're interdependent, obviously, but I, I read particularly memoir searching for what I sometimes think of as the inadvertently revealing uh, insight or moment. And if something is in a memoir of a public person, it's always there for a reason. And sometimes that reason is apparent and sometimes it isn't. And so you, you can tell what stuck in someone's head about their own life. And uh, particularly if you can't see them, uh, talk to them, that becomes, it's almost like an interview. Mm -hmm like the autobiographical writings of Abraham Lincoln are hugely important because he was presenting himself to the country. He didn't write anything like that until he was running for president in 1860. 
and what he chose to include and what he chose not to include mm -hmm. uh, were incredibly relevant. So you mentioned your, your three points of criteria earlier. Is there an example where you've had to, maybe you started some research and decided to stop pretty far along, six months in, a year into something? I've never gone quite that far. Uh, I have looked, uh, there have been two or three people I thought about doing and couldn't quite get to all three of those tests. Mm -hmm. uh, it also depends on what other people are doing. Uh, there might be, uh, you know, somebody's at work on X and so you realize that's gonna be great. So you, you, you try to hit them where they ain't. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've not gone quite that far, but I've, I've gone six weeks, you know, uh, you know, I've read five biographies of somebody and, and then realized this wasn't, this wasn't right for that moment. So tell me how, how does your new podcast play into the research you're already doing? What's, what separates it from your books and what's kind of the, the premise there? The premise of the current one uh, is really a distillation of a couple of projects and my basic just being in the world uh, for half a century. Um, I have found podcasting to be a very congenial genre because it's scripted but conversational. Right, which is different than just being conversational or just being scripted. If it were just scripted, that's a book on tape, right? That's an audio book. Uh, if it were just conversational, it would be like doing television or uh, you know a, a, a panel conversation. It, it it hits an interesting sweet spot uh, for me because the my thoughts are more organized than just talking, uh, but because it's not a book, I feel a little bit, uh, I don't wanna say liberated, but I feel a little freer to say, this is my opinion, whatever you think of it. Uh, so it's, it's, a little, it's a little less formal uh, than say even an op-ed. Uh, but that's probably the closest thing. I think it, it's, it's, it's an opinion. It's a point of view. It's not presented as definitive. Um, by the way, I, I don't think there is such a thing as a definitive biography uh, because life is so complicated. Uh, human lives are so complicated. You can be authoritative, but definitive is different. Um, You sound really um, open-minded about things. Do you have any advice for people? You know, the, the thing now is everyone's so split one side or the other about everything. It seems like when you're reading something, if, even if you're reading four biographies on the same person, you're very open to what the stories are and how you find truth. What advice might you have for people who can't seem to, you know, be open to things, I guess? You know, I, I draw a distinction between neutrality and fair-mindedness. I don't think there is such a thing as neutrality. I think we all are the product of our experiences, you know, our, our, our culture, you know, everything you can 
you know, our intellectual development, our spiritual development, uh, our backgrounds in terms of identity. Uh, so I don't believe that history is a neutral undertaking. I do firmly believe that for me anyway, it's important that it be a fair-minded undertaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is that you assess people based on the context of their times, the extent to which there were countervailing or contrary voices making a case in that time. Um, and I don't think I could write a book about someone I didn't basically approve of on the whole, uh, there are people who can, uh, and I salute that. I don't think it would be hard, it would be hard, it seems to me, to, to, to do that, unless you were driven by a extraordinary um, passion in that given moment. Uh, so, you know, I, I know it's harder than it has been in, at least it seems harder than in the recent past to to see both sides but to see both sides is not to agree with both sides or to invest both sides with the same authority for instance the podcast that i have out now called fate of fact is very much about how the american right not the left has lost its mind, uh, has descended into fantasy, uh, paranoia, conspiracy theories, a cult of personality. And it's just not true that there's an equivalent experience on the left. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen tomorrow, but it hasn't happened yet. And so it, it's a false equivalence to try to balance out a critical view of some political phenomena by trying to find a countervailing phenomena on the other side. And that might violate kind of conventional, traditional canons of neutrality uh, or even handedness, but I don't think it violates a canon of fair-mindedness. I have looked at where we stand politically in 2021, and this is what I think. Right. How do you approach some of the language uh, when entering into these topics? You're, you're more known historically for, um, I, guess, I mean, really history as opposed to like what's going on today, at least with your books. So how are you kind of like presenting yourself in this way? Do you talk about history on the podcast? Do you talk about um, what led up to today or is it more just a conversation of what's happening? Oh, it's very much what led up today. That's my only value add. Uh, is I believe, for instance, to answer with an example, I believe that one of the reasons the Republican Party was vulnerable to and ultimately so accepting of Donald Trump was because the Republican establishment had not delivered since Eisenhower on their fundamental promises. So government didn't get smaller. Uh, there was no pro-life amendment to the Constitution. There was not a school prayer amendment to the Constitution. And so Eisenhower, Nixon, Ford, Reagan, and the Bushes ran to the right 
but then governed more or less from the center right to the center. And that created a real, if unrecognized, frustration with what we would think of as traditional candidates. Mm -hmm. And so you roll Trump in and you have this, that's the gasoline on the garage floor and Trump's the match. And so I try, I don't always do it, but my goal is if I have a strong political opinion, I try to do a kind of a etymology in my own head about why do I think that? And if I think that because of some historical reference point, that becomes possibly something worth thinking about for other people. Maybe not, uh, but for instance, watching the Liz Cheney drama in Washington is like watching Margaret Chase Smith, who was a Senator from Maine who opposed Joe McCarthy very early on. And so I look at Cheney and I think Margaret Chase Smith. I look at Trump, I think Joe McCarthy. And so insofar as I'm worth even thinking about listening to, I think that the, the historical frame is, uh, is the main thing I try to offer. And it may not be worth anything. Uh, and that's, that's, that's up to the marketplace. That's up to, uh, to folks listening. You've got this, you know, this great collection of books. You've got your podcast out now. If you were starting today, where would you begin? If you were in your 20s or something like that, where would you even start? That's a great question. Um, I do think I would start with, let me put it this way. I would start with a reported, with a reporting-based, a research-based product, whether that would be a podcast or whether that would be a documentary or a book, I'm, I'm that I'm more agnostic about. But what is absolutely clear in this climate and in this crowded uh, intellectual and political marketplace is to reward and repay people's attention, you need to tell them something they don't know or don't know they know. And that's not simply about shocking with opinions. It's about angles of vision. It's about, you know, if you're talking about extremism, understand McCarthy, right? Understand the Confederate mindset that led to secession because of this deeply held white supremacy. You know, so immerse yourself in and it doesn't have to be in the past, it can be reporting today, whatever it is. But tell us something we might not know. And if you tell us something we might not know, we are more likely to listen to what you think matters about what's unfolding. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.